off-the-cuff episode. Normally, it's this time of the year where those of us with families find that our availability seems to be in constantly in flux, which means that unfortunately no one was able to participate in an actual show this week again. So I've taken upon myself to couple together a brief collection of reviews of recent movies that I've been able to see, and also means that the uh, feed will not be empty for two weeks in a row. So just a real quick thing, these uh, first two movies were things that were actually released quite a while ago. I just unfortunately just got around to see them right now when they were released to home video, uh, digital uh uh, availability and all that uh, to begin with uh, is the uh, well Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves now as everyone has actually noted over the past couple of months that the movie has been out that yes it is a very entertaining movie there is no doubt about it it is very well put together um, you can definitely tell that everyone involved with this particular uh, production it was a fan and wanted this to be a successful thing. Uh, the look of it is gorgeous. The interaction of the characters is great. The, uh, the the special effects is really good. And the nice thing about it is is it that proves once again that uh, Chris Pine is one of the best Chris's that we have acting right now in the genre uh, atmosphere. I myself have been a fan of Dungeons and Dragons since I was uh, a preteen and all that. A cousin of mine uh, was into Dungeons and Dragons and introduced me and my brother to it one year, and that's when we got hooked on the actual uh, role-playing game way back, way back in the 80s of the uh, 1900s. And uh, so I've been a fan of both uh, Dungeons and Dragons and uh, role-playing ever since. Uh, the nice thing about this particular movie is that it is actually um, very open to a non-Dungeons and Dragon or even a role-playing audience. It's kind of neat because the um, explanations that needed to be known about what's going on are very naturally introduced into the movie. For example, as you saw in the trailer uh, with the, uh, the, the owl bear, the sequence where when the actual creature of the owlbear, which looks fantastic, uh, when it transforms out and it goes back to the actor, the act, act, other characters and all that, someone explains, hey, that's an owlbear. So it's kind of neat. Uh, you, you get a lot of different references that are definitely, if you're a fan of Dungeons and Dragons, you get them. But if you're not a fan, you're still treated to great visuals and given information as well. Like you are told about the Mimic, you are told about the Gelatinous Cube, um, the uh, cameo of the original animated series Dungeons and Dragons characters is really fun to see in the couple of sequences that they are in. I mean, they're in one sequence, but there's a couple of shots and there's actually some really good uh, cosplay recreation of the uh, animated to live action. But like I said, again, it's a very wonderfully done story. Uh, Chris Pine is fantastic. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez plays a great kick-ass uh, character. Um, and Hugh Grant as the sort of bad guy is a fabulous as this uh, over-the-top elaborate character and all that. And it's just a very fun movie. Uh, even if you are not a fan of the Dungeons and Dragons, it's a very good adventure story. Now, the next one that I had seen is something that is actually, uh, uh, as a fan of the actual series, um, this is uh, Evil Dead Rise. Now, this 
basically is part of the uh, Sam Raimi universe of the Ash story. Uh, it is basically a continuation, but it is not your typical um, Ash versus the Evil Dead sort of thing. Now, a few years ago, they did a remake version of the Evil Dead where uh, they retold the actual story. They uh, changed uh, Ash into a young woman and all that. And it was a much more gory version of the original story, which it followed pretty closely and all that. This particular series, Evil Dead Rises, is in that sort of genre, uh, that sort of uh, section of horror. And it is very gory. It is very graphic. But it still has the same feel. The The Deadites still feel the same way. It uh, turns out that this is another Necronomicon. There is a set of Necronomicons, as we find out uh, throughout the progression of the uh, story. And this is a bottle episode, uh, show that actually takes place in a dilapidated apartment building that's about to be torn down. But still there are people living in it sort of thing. So it's kind of neat that way. So you can get to your whole entire things. It's got your jump scares. It's got your violence. Um, everyone gets covered in blood. You get your goriness. And like I said, it is a lot more visceral than uh, the original Sam Raimi's and all that, which basically had a little bit of tongue-in-cheek with their whole entire uh, way that they pulled it off. But it still has a great homage to that original stuff. Uh, right down to even like a chainsaw being used. But uh, we find out that there are different uh, ways that uh, Deadites can interact. And in one sequence, well, we get uh, a couple of bodies of Deadites that culminate into one body. And uh, we have a wood chipper near the end of the movie and all that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, no, it's actually quite an entertaining movie. Um it's also really got a nice feel to it where, um, you know what? Kids are not safe in this movie. Uh, it, the, uh, the main character, the first character to get turned into the main deadite, which turns out to be the, the, the alpha deadite in this story, is a mother of three children, um, a, a couple of tween, a couple of, uh, a teen, a tween, and like, like, uh, like, a, I believe the girl is eight, seven or eight and all that sort of thing. She's a little girl and all that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, so it's it's just a really fun uh, movie. I It's it's one that I actually wish I had actually seen in the theater. It would have been fantastic with a, uh, a crowd to have seen this. Because, again, while it does follow the, the formula of the original Evil Dead movies, it's brought to you in a different in a different uh, manner. So for a more recent movie is one that I actually also unfortunately wasn't able to see in the theater, but it was released uh, very soon after it's theatrical to uh, home video, digital download and all that sort of thing. And that is Renfield. And now if anybody um, knows me personally, they'll know that I'm not a big Nicolas Cage fan. I do like some of his movies, and I do like some of the movies where he's in an ensemble cast. When it's more generally just uh, Nicolas Cage, I'm not a big fan of his over-the-top acting. That being said, his over-the-top acting is perfect in this movie. He plays 
Count Dracula. It, no ifs, ands, or buts. He is Dracula. He, uh, Nicholas Holt, who plays Renfield, there is a sequence at the beginning of this movie when they're doing a, basically, uh, there's a lot of uh, VO from uh, Renfield for this whole entire movie, and he points out stuff, and it's, a, I mean, it's sort of a bit of a crutch at some points, but it's kind of neat because it allows the movie to move a little smoother and all that sort of thing, so you don't have to go into a lot of explanation in the exposition during the movie and all that, so you just have a voiceover and all that. At the beginning, he sets up why he is where he is. The movie recreates scenes from the Universal movies Bela Lugosi Dracula with the the two of them Nicholas Cage and Nicholas Holt in the two roles and all that and it is so beautifully done it's got the right sheen to the uh, focus and all that and in black and white and it is fantastic Nicholas Cage does a tremendous job I'm a fan of Nicholas Holt. That's he is fantastic in this movie. Him playing the uh, realizing that he is like in an abusive relationship. Uh, he falls into a crowd of uh, basically a, a support group that are that they're 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 a group of people suffering from abusive relationships and they're culminating together and all that. Uh, there's a lot of great humor in this. It's it's a very it it is definitely in the comedy slash horror genre for sure um but it is also very very gory which is kind of nice uh there is a lot everything is very brightly lit it's not very dark at any points and all that sort of thing but it is very visceral blood it's very a little bit of like sam raimi meets monty python sort of gore and all that uh Renfield gets um, his strength, he gets like vampire-esque strength and whatnot uh, abilities when he consumes bugs, which is part of some of the lore of the Renfield character and all that. But they go to the extreme and he's almost like superhero-esque point. Uh, there's a part where he's like tearing people's arms out and the blood splurt coming out of it is almost like the Black Knight from, well, more so than the Black Knight from the Holy Grail, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail sort of thing. And it is, it is fun. Um, he meets up with a, uh, a police, uh, a police officers trying to clean up the, uh, the streets of, uh, New Orleans played by Aquafina, who is apparently popping up in every sort of thing this, uh, this past couple of years, which is kind of neat. It's nice to see her in a different role. It's a, she, there seems to be a little bit of a romantic thing between the two of them, all that sort of thing, but it's not a major plot point and all that. Uh, uh, she, he impresses her when she stands up to some thugs and she, he impresses her when he beats the crap out of all these people and all that. So she's trying to bring down a, uh, a crime family in New Orleans and all that. And yeah, it's just, it's a fantastically fun movie. The cast is fantastic and it is such a fun movie and again it's one that I'm sorry that I didn't get to see in the theater with the crowd. Now we're going to talk about theatrically released movies. Actually everything's theatrically released in this whole entire list but this is the first movie that I've been able to see in the theater in the longest time and that is Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 obviously directed by James Gunn which is 
Uh, it's his final uh, Marvel movie that he's done before he's moving on to working, uh, running, partially running the DC um, cinematic uh, universe that uh, he has moved on to do. And which is unfortunately that um, he is moving on, but good for him because uh, he is such a talented man and he is getting his uh, just desserts for being a fantastic uh, director, writer, producer, um, just a culmination of fantastic actors and all that. Now, uh, this particular movie is the culmination of three movies. Uh, the wrapping up of the Guardians of the Galaxy storyline, which is what it does. Now, this movie is uh, very uh, emotional, which is a fantastic thing to do. And James Gunn knows how to do emotions. He knows how to play with the emotions of the audience and all that. And I myself um, found myself being very uh, emotional during this. I believe even like I, I was like, like, oh my God, I think I'm going to cry sort of thing a couple of times and all that. And I believe once that I actually did shed a couple of tears for it and all that. So as usual, the movie is just chock full of uh, great actors, great whatever. Um, and again, as his final movie, uh, he pulled out all the guns. Sean Gunn pulled out all the guns for this final uh, performance and all that. So we've got, uh, again, we got Chris Pratt's returns. Uh, all the returning characters are there. Karen Gillian as Nebula and Pam Keltenturf as Mantis and then Dave Bautista as Drax. Uh, we got Sean Gunn having a bigger role this time as uh, Craglin. Um, we got Zoe Saldana returning as Gamora, which is the way they handle the Gamora and Peter Quill storyline is fantastic, uh, because we know because of, uh, what the Russos did with the, uh, end game and whatnot, how it's a different Gamora. She's lived a different life and Peter is basically yearning for the Gamora that he knew. And he spends the movie trying to convince her that they were together and, She's all like, no, it doesn't sound right. Uh, this is not right. Um, we are given uh, Adam Warlock's uh, Will Pelter it return, uh, comes now as a main character, uh, which is kind of neat. He's sort of a secondary sort of bad guy to um, Shakwudi Iwuchi. Now, I'm probably butchering his name and all that, um, but uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, as the high evolutionary, uh, which is completely, it's not quite completely different from the high evolutionary from the Marvel comics that, uh, I grew up knowing there was a whole entire like sequence of high evolutionary sort of thing, manipulating things in the Marvel universe and all that. But, um, he is fabulously done as a bad guy. He, uh, he is a fantastic actor, first of all, to begin with. Uh, he, I mean, he was on Peacemaker, uh, the other James Gunn's HBO uh, series with uh, John Cena as the main character and all that. And he plays a fabulous bad guy in this. He plays the realm of it. He plays this sometimes common collective, sometimes this mad scientist, sometimes this, this angry, explosive character, but he's just beautifully, beautifully uh, rounded out. Um... One of the cool things about this is uh, this movie is chocked full of voice actings. There's a lot of really cool 
uh, characters that are just voiced. Now, obviously, we've got Vin Diesel and we got Bradley Cooper, uh, both Groot and Rocket. Uh, this this movie is definitely Rocket's movie, and we find out that actually, you know what, the trilogy has been actually Rocket's story all along, which is part of this movie being such a fantastically heartwarming story. Uh, we go into a lot of flashback. We go back into the days when we find out that when Rocket was having all these experiments done onto him, he basically was taken from a raccoon, which we find out that he actually is a raccoon, and uh, Rocket himself finds out that he is a raccoon from Earth. Uh, but um, he's He's manipulated, he's altered by the high evolutionary, and he's put, basically, he, the high evolutionary is trying to figure out a way to evolve creatures into, like, actively working brain humanoid characters. And what has happened is, whatever he's done to Rocket has actually worked. He's been working on all these other characters and and creatures and doing experiments and nothing has become like learning intelligent. They can mimic information, they can repeat stuff that they've seen, but nothing is actually doing any learned sort of way of figuring out how to do stuff. But something that they've done to Rocket has made Rocket a singularity and he becomes an obsession with the high evolutionary. Um, so uh, we are given the other characters, the other, again, all CG characters of uh, uh, Lila, which is an otter with um, with robotic arms. And we're given uh, Tiefs, which is this walrus with wheelchair legs and all that. And we're given Floor, which is this probably one of the scariest things I've ever seen on the big screen in a movie that's not supposed to be scary. It's this this rabbit, white rabbit, set on top of a spider body. So it's like a the the pelt is over top of this. Like the the face is still a rabbit's face with its eyes and all that sort of thing. But its jaws are the its mouth is like these giant metal jaws and all that and it's scary but it's given this little girl's voice and she calls herself floor um yeah so uh we got linda cardellini doing the voice of uh lila amish shandri is doing teeth and malakala hover is doing the voice of floors and again i apologize if i've screwed up their names because i i've never seen their heard their names being spoken out loud before so i apologize for that but uh also with voices we got uh cosmo which is the uh, uh the the russian dog uh has a big role in this well we did cosmo was in the uh guardians of the galaxy uh holiday special which you do have to see the holiday special to get a couple of uh little bits and pieces but you don't really need to see it there's some extra stuff that you will like ah that's from that and all that you find out why they're on nowhere in the holiday special and whatnot but um yeah so um maria balaclava uh does the voice of that um we actually have at one point uh mainframe 
is voiced by Tara Strong, and we even have a cameo of Howard the Duck, which is uh, Seth Green doing again. So there's a lot of voice acting. So, and speaking of Seth Green, there's a sequence where uh, Lloyd Kaufman, who's, uh, again, the the man to give uh, James Gunn his first uh, jobs in movies in with his trauma studio, comes back as uh, Grindle Mop, um, which is one of the prisoners from the first movie, and uh, Christopher Fairbank as the broker, uh, from also the first movie also comes back in this particular sequence and all that uh so it's it's just so chocked full of uh hilarity and such a deep like emotional story uh, all the characters are able to are given their just due everyone has a fantastic storyline i mean the main storyline is rocket storyline that's the one that we spend the most time on but we we figure out that uh, Quill is so heartbroken that he's basically drunk his, uh, drinking himself into a stupor that the rest of the Guardians um, basically are uh, totally against him for having put himself in this position. Uh, he's also realizing that he's missing home and all that. Uh, it's pointed out to him. Um, uh, Nebula is trying to deal with the fact that she is basically becoming the nursemaid to this whole entire crew. She's still resentful for being there, but she's being there because it's now her only family and she's grown into it. Uh, Mantis is going through so much stuff. She is going through some emotional stuff. She's dealing with uh, just recently figuring out that her and Peter are related and all that. She's dealing with, uh, and Drax does a fantastic turn as well. Um, even Craglin has a great uh, mini storyline and all that. So it's really kind of cool. Uh, it's neat to see that this whole entire new version of Groot is fantastic. Um, you know what? You can be now any sort of shape of cosplayer and you can do any version of Groot right now. Even right up to the very end of this movie there's a completely like completely different uh Groot which is fantastic again it's top-notch special effects it's top-notch writing which again written by James Gunn uh he does a fantastic job he knows how to make a fun movie he knows how to make an emotional movie and he knows how to make a spectacular theatrical experience uh, so nothing is overwhelming at any point, which is great. Uh, the pacing of this movie is so good. He knows how to throw stuff at the audience and give them enough of a break to recover from it and whatnot. It just goes to prove that uh, James Gunn is a fantastic, fantastic director. And uh, it's too bad that we're not going to see this Guardians of the Galaxy iteration anymore. Um, at the end of the movie, we are given a preview of what the new Guardians look like. Peter himself has uh, come back home, and he's now uh, hanging out with his grandfather, which is kind of nice uh, emotional uh, uh, ending to the movie. And uh, yeah, so um, great theatrical showing. If get, do yourself a favor if you can see it, go see it in the theater because again. Sean Gunn uh, does a fantastic job, and it's probably the best Marvel movie I've seen recently uh, that has, like, brought back my... Oh, wait a sec. Now, this is how you're supposed to do a Marvel movie. So the next movie that uh, was a bit of a special time for me, because I was able to take my daughter to go see this movie in the theater. So it was just... Uh, 
daddy-daughter day at the movie theaters, and we went to go see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Now, uh, we spent the previous two days watching the original movie. Uh, we, we, we started it later than we should have the first time, so we ended up watching it the second time. So we ended up finishing the movie the day of going to see the sequel. And, like, I know she had seen it once before, but, you know, we gave her a little refresher. I pointed out some things that were happening in the movie and all that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, so we went to see it. And so this one um, is... Uh, do yourself a favor, go see it in the theater. You have to see this movie in the theater. It has to be on the big screen. It is visually just as stunning as the first. I mean, it is, there's so much. The great thing is that I was able to be there with my daughter. And of course, she was asking questions and I was able to answer them sort of thing or as best I could. Uh, or basically, you know what, we'll look that sort of thing up when we uh, get done later on. But uh, yeah, so uh, this movie is got three directors. So we got um, Joaquim de Santos, who um, prior to this was like uh, an executive producer for both uh, the Legend of Korra, the the animated series, and the animated series of Voltron: Legendary Defender. Uh, Kemp Powers, one of the other directors, was uh, previously he was a co-director of uh, the Disney Pixar Soul, and uh, Justin K. Uh, Uh, Thompson, who um, prior to this was like a production designer on like numerous video games, and uh, he basically is has done the gamut of different animation uh, departments in tons of uh, animated shows and all that. Uh, so, not going to get too spoil spoilery with this because this is a fantastic one. Now, again, a lot of people have forgotten because I. I knew going into it that it was going to be a two-parter. I knew that there was going to be another movie coming after this. My, my daughter was not aware of that, which was kind of cool to see her react the way she did and all that. She's all like, what? Is that it? Sort of thing, which is kind of funny. But a lot of the people in the theater also did not realize that either. So that was kind of neat to hear the reaction of once the movie ends where it does that uh, the audience is like, wait, what's going on? Sort of thing. Uh, so... Um, it is really, it is really cool. We are given, uh, a new bad guy. We are given a whole entire, as you've seen from the trailer, there's a crap load of different Spider-Men from the spider, across the Spider-Verse. And we're introduced to a good handful of them as interactive characters with the, uh, main characters and all that. But there's a lot of background stuff and all that. Like, even down to, like... Spider Rex, which is kind of neat to see and all that, which is, which, which my daughter picked up instantly that, uh, wait, is that a giant T-Rex wearing a Spider-Man costume and all that? So, um, yeah. So Shamik War, um, um, Moore returns again as, uh, uh, Miles Morales, Haley Stanfield is Gwen Stacy, um, Brian Therese Henry as, uh, uh, Jeff Morales, Luna Lauren Velez as, uh, Real Morales, uh, in this, we are now given uh, Jason Schwartzman, who plays the spot, who is the bad guy and all that, which is kind of a funny thing because he was one of, he is a, a, a background joke in the first one, and he's the, the scientist that gets hit by the bagel. Uh, when they said the bagel, that he was hit, when he actually remembered that he was hit by the bagel, um, 
me and my bo my daughter both like oh bagel and she like was smiling and all that sort of thing because she recognized it because that was one of the jokes I pointed out in the uh, first movie uh so it was kind of neat um uh Jason Schwartzman uh voice was unrecognizable to me because I didn't it was like one of those I, I know that voice I know the voice so it was kind of cool that it was uh Jason uh Schwartzman so um we got Oscar Isaacs, which I am a huge fan of, and I will watch anything with him. And he does a fantastic job as um, Miguel O'Hara, which is the Spider-Man from uh, 2099, which is us closer, getting closer and closer to 2099 than we would have been uh, back then, sort of thing, when he was when the comic book was originally released and all that. And again, a lot of these people are Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, and all that sort of thing. So for the most part, I'm just going to give them the actual, uh, the characters' names and all that sort of thing. Uh, also, we're listening to um, Isra Ray, who plays uh, Jessica Drew. Uh, uh, Jace, Jake Johnson returns as uh, Peter B. Parker, which is kind of neat. Um, a little bit of a spoiler thing and all that sort of thing. We are, we do have... Um, the three other Spider-Man that were in the original movie. We do we do see a small little sequence uh, near the end of this particular movie where where Spider Noir and Spider Ham are in it. We don't hear their voices. They're just in the background as part of the end of the movie and all that. Uh, we uh, Miles does run into the uh, the the girl with the robot suit and all that it's a new robot suit and all that sort of thing so she's there she basically says hello and that's about it for her role and all that but again she appears at the end of the movie and all that um it is kind of neat that um we are giving uh hobby brown which is uh spider punk who plays a main character uh in this and is so beautifully animated and he is voiced by uh daniel kawaki kawali Mmm, Kalawai. Ah, uh, again, I am terrible with names, and reading them is even worse. And then we're also given uh, Karen Sony, who uh, is the uh, the 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 taxi uh, driver, the taxi cab driver from the Deadpool movies. He plays uh, Petrov. Oh, I can try that again, and that's Pavitri Parabrakar. So, uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of neat to see uh, an Indian Manhattan, uh, Boomhattan, uh, so it's a Mumbai Manhattan, so Boomhattan Spider-Man, which is kind of neat. Um, it's, it's fantastic to see uh, such... Uh, an amazing array of characters come together. Um, it's the storyline um, is a little stretched thin at points, but uh, again, I don't want to be too spoilery with it because it does rely a lot on those story points. And again, we get it back to uh, there's a sequence where um, there's a bunch of captured bad guys in this one sequence. And there's, again, cameo stuff galore. And it's really entertaining to see things on the screen. It's 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 really fun. There are references. And yes, there are references to other Spider-Men that 
you don't see. You see visuals of other stuff and all that. So, um, yeah. So, you won't be disappointed going into this movie. That is for sure. Uh, you might not think it's as good as the first one because the first one was a first of its kind. This is just more of the same, which is kind of neat. But um, it it just the story just goes a little more. And again, remember, this is the first of two parts and there is another movie coming soon. All right, so this brings us to the uh, last movie that I'm going to talk about as an actual review in this little uh, mini episode. And um, that's a movie that was released a couple weeks ago, um, but apparently uh, didn't make enough money and they weren't uh, basically um, confident enough in it. And they've uh, released it to... Uh, rent on uh, VOD right now, and that's uh, Fast X, which is kind of weird. But uh, it's directed by uh, Louis uh, Littier, who is uh, also previously responsible for uh, The Incredible Hulk, The Transporter, and Now You See Me. Now, of course, this is the 10th movie in the series of the current 11 movies and all that, but of the Fast and the Furious series, you know, starring Vin Diesel and the whole entire gang. So, um... What this movie is, is this is the final movie to wrap up the whole entire series. Now, prior to uh, this being actually released, uh, there was going to be a part one, a part two. But uh, shortly, about a couple of months before the actual release of the movie, they decided, hey, we're going to make it into three movies. So this is Fast X Part 1. Now, I don't know if Fast X Part 2, Fast X Part 3 are going to be out, or they're just going to call them 11 and 12. You never know. So uh, that's uh, that's where they're going. So this pretty much, this particular movie brings back pretty much every single character that has been in a Fast X movie, minus a couple of exceptions. Um... Now, uh, going into this movie, you need a little bit of a... You don't need too much of a, um, a, a, a setup for the whole entire thing. Any sort of like ma major plot points that you need to know are given to you. Right off of the beginning, we are given the uh, sequence from the everyone's favorite Fast X, uh, Fast movie, which is uh, Fast Five. Um, the whole entire bank heist sequence. So that is basically brought into it. They reshoot uh, sequences of it with um, putting the new uh, main bad guy in it, Jason Momoa. So he's now written into the Fast Saga uh, series. Um, and it's uh, really, really cool. Uh, uh, again, they just use footage from the uh the everyone's favorite fast and the furious movie number five and they like add some extra stuff and all that sort of thing so um yeah uh the movie then picks up in the now and here um everyone's uh having a good life sort of thing and then uh things start to uh <laughs> tumble from there so like we've got vin diesel and michelle rodriguez we got Therese Gibson, we got Ludacris, uh, we got uh, Natalie Emmanuel, uh, who, who is, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the computer girl that is now all of a sudden wanting to be a driver, and that's uh, the, the Ramsey character. Um, Sam Kang is back as uh, Han. John Cena, who, um, to know about more about his character, you might want to see the previous movie, um, F9. Uh, because his character is like 180 from what the character that he played in the previous movie. So John Cena is a lot different from all that. 
Uh, we have Charlie Saren show up. We have uh, Helen Mirren show up. We even have uh, Jason Statham show up for a small sequence and all that. It's kind of neat because he's introduced to the movie through an interaction with him and Han. And uh, like he's like, you're anyone that would show up like this sort of thing, a situation of fight and all that. And then bad guys come in and everyone beats everyone up and they take off and all that. Uh, and of course, Georgiana Brewster is back, but obviously Paul Walker is not. But also the character of Brian is not. He's spoken of in this movie, but Brian is off with uh, his and um, uh, uh, Mia's child. They're off being protected somewhere. So that's one way to write out uh, his character, obviously. Uh, I, I'm thinking eventually they're probably going to do some sort of digital thing, maybe in like a year or two when the next movie comes out, it'll be a little better. More than likely in the final one will finally have like some sort of digital composited or some sort of you know how they do like the deep fake like how Luke Skywalker was done in like Mandalorian or the book of Boba Fett like the the second time Luke showed up they might be able to pull off something like that um uh introduced into the movie is Brie Larson who um is uh playing the role of Tess who turns out to be the daughter of Mr. Nobody who is who is uh Kurt Russell um not appearing in this film. Uh, we also have uh, Scott Eastwood uh, coming back as a little nobody. Um, so it's it's just... Oh, we also have um, Rita Moreno as uh, the grandmother. Abulita. Abulita. That's how you pronounce it, I think. Ugh. I'm going to take a wild guess on that. Um, but anyways... Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of neat. Um, if you're going at storylines, uh, story-wise, um, this is what I think they're trying to pull off as their Empire Strikes Back. Uh, no one really wins any sort of thing. The bad, the good guys always seem to be behind being outmatched by the bad guys, who is Jason Momoa, who is this fantastic Joker-esque character that is playing it the he is chewing all the scenery he's chewing so much scenery he's chewing scenery in scenes that he's not in he is hilarious in this role as um as dante and he is so fun to watch on screen he's um i mean he he's a nutcase which is fantastic and he plays both the wacky crazy villain and the evil sadistic villain at the same time sometimes switching back and forth very gemini-esque sort of thing back and forth back and forth but he's he's a pleasure to watch up on the screen um now this being compared to like empire strikes back is the the the, the main cast gets split apart at the beginning of the movie now of course this is a to-be-continued sort of thing, so nobody actually comes together. Um, Letty gets shoved off into her own storyline, and uh, Dominic does his own storyline, and uh, Roman, uh, Tej, and Ramsey get, and Han get put off into their own uh, storyline and all that. Uh, Jacob uh, gets his own storyline where he's with uh, Little B, which is Dominic's uh, son, the whole entire sequence and all that. Um, 
yeah, so it's really, really cool. Then there's a whole entire sequence where um, the new uh, the new head of the agency, uh, Ames, um, who is uh, Alan Richardson, uh, you know, a Reacher from that fantastic uh, series, who plays a, a fantastic, like, replacement of Mr. Nobody because Mr. Nobody's nowhere to be around. So he's in charge of this whole entire thing. So uh, when Brie Larson introduces herself into the storyline, she has to see him and all that. There's a sequence where, okay, to <laughs> crazy sequence, um, not too spoiler and all that sort of thing. There's a sequence where Brie Larson's character shows up uh, and um, uh, 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 Ames is his name is uh, talking about Dominic Torillo and his whole entire gang and all that sort of thing. And she's, he's in front of a bunch of computer screens showing the escapades of Dominic and his, his team and all that. But it's all video screens that are showing actually just clips from the movie, not like, like surveillance footage of some sort of thing, some sort of computer recreation of the scenes. No, it's actually footage from the previous nine movies and all that sort of thing. John Cena has a cannon car. He has a car that shoots cannon shells. And at one point, he uses it to fly. He points the cannons down and fires and then leaps over. It's just phenomenal. Oh, my God. Um, Letty has this fantastic fight sequence. It's in the trailer, though. You've seen it where she runs into Cypher, like... Her and Cypher end up in the same facility together, and they have this fight that's fantastically done. And again, like every single movie, the stunts are spectacular. They're over the top. The actual physical stunts, like the fighting stuff, the one-on-one -on -one fighting stuff is fantastic and all that sort of thing. And like it always is. The driving is really cool and all that. Uh, there's a little bit of, like, there's sequences where, I mean, obviously, there's a giant bomb about to blow up the Vatican, and of course, again, in the trailer, you've seen that sort of thing. The giant flaming ball, which is a bomb going down, and Dominic has to drive down the streets of of Rome to, like, knock the, the bomb out of the way and try and save people and all that sort of thing. But, I mean, spoiler alert, he ends up saving the Vatican, but the, how he does it is just so... So preposterous, and the fact that he survives his plan to stop this bomb and all that. He, he, he drives off a bridge to hit a crane that spins around, and the big cement counterweight at the end of the crane bangs into the bomb, sending the bomb into the water. Dominic, flying off the bridge, has his vehicle bounce off the crane and into a wall, which he then drives down the wall in onto the road offside. The bomb explodes, and while it's deep enough in the water, it doesn't have a huge impact, but there's a giant wave of 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 damage coming toward like a like a shockwave coming towards him. And he's driving with all these cop cars chasing behind him. And he's driving so hard. He's driving so fast that all the cop cars get caught up in this, this wave and all that sort of thing. And he's like grunting and he's starting to yell and he's coming up and he's just driving on his front wheels and he like hits the like like the NOS and he's able to just, just outrun the explosion and all that. It that's that's how preposterous this is they don't go to space this time around. They don't go as far as going to space this time. That you'd have to check for F9. 
to see all that. Um, but again, so one more time, do yourself a favor. If you want to do a refresher and all that, you don't have to see all nine movies. There's no reason to sit through all nine movies. Uh, technically, you want to see the first movie, Fast and the Furious. You definitely want to see five and six for sure. You might need to see nine just to get a, a sort of little inkling of who certain characters are and all that sort of thing. And to figure out where, how certain characters come back and all that. Um, in the third one, a character gets killed off and all that sort of thing. But anyways, um, and yeah, so uh, again, it's a preposterous movie, but um, it's it was fun. It was really cool to see. Uh, I would have liked to, like always, to see a movie like this on the big screen is, would be fantastic. I was able to see it on my TV, which is not too bad. And uh, so a bit, it's still not as probably as impactful as sitting in the theater with a full theater of people who are there to see that type of movie because that's always the best time to see a movie like that is like a theater full of people all right so that pretty much brings us to the end of this particular episode of off the cuff now there is one major omission from this whole entire situation and this is being recorded the saturday before this is actually released and that's uh, father's day weekend and uh, the movie that i'm hoping to get to personally to see well i haven't seen it yet i would like to be able to get to see on Sunday, uh, The Flash. I definitely want to see it sooner than later because I don't want anything to be spoiled. I don't want to hear anyone's opinion of it and all that sort of thing. I'm just kind of interested in seeing the actual movie. I want to see how they try to wrap up the whole entire Snyderverse version of the DC Universe before, you know, James Gunn takes over and and that whole entire crew now rewrites history and all that sort of thing. Plus the fact Michael Keaton coming back as Batman sounds like a really, really cool idea. I mean, okay, I'm in it to see Michael Keaton as Batman again. I can't deny it. It is a thing that as soon as he was part of the original trailer, it's all like, ah, like all the behind the scenes stuff and all that sort of thing that came out at the time that the movie was being put together is definitely the reason why I want to see this movie. Not to mention the campaign that they're doing online for the actual movie coming out the weekend of Father's Day. This Father's Day, there's really only one movie your dad wants to see. The Flash. Why? Because it has Batman. And you know what? I'm Batman. So once again, I want to thank you for uh, listening to this whole entire episode. This one person, one-sided uh, diatribe of me just rambling on about movies. But uh, thanks once again for listening and hopefully... Once uh, either this week or next week, we actually get the group back together to actually put together a full-fledged regular episode that we can put into the regular feed and actually make it more of a constant thing from this on. And once again, thanks for tuning in. You have been listening to Off the Cuff, a Planet Geek production. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can find us at our social medias through Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On Instagram and Twitter, Planet Geek Pod. Or you can send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. So until next bad time, same spider channel, may the force be with you, and thanks for tuning in.